Hello, and welcome to Mini Business Adventures. We lift the lid in the UK's businesses because we believe that the best advice comes from the owners and entrepreneurs who have been there, done that, and lived to tell the tale. I'm Gordon Rutherford from AXA Business Insurance, and today I'm going to be talking to Mike Stevenson and Claire Dales about self-employment. Mike is the founder of Thinktastic, a creative marketing agency, and Claire runs an architectural design and art studio in Eastbourne. Like me, both have run their own businesses, gone freelance, and worked as employees too. I'd like to kick off by asking you, Mike, as someone who spent most of your life as your own boss, have you ever had a moment when the hierarchy or a normal job looked tempting? For five minutes at a time. And then I remember some of my experiences. And I'll, I'll give an example. Uh, I worked in the steelworks in Sheffield, and I was put on this belt... And I was moving this heavy bit of molten metal and putting it in a die and pulling it down so that the, the die casts this shape. And I asked the foreman, you know, what is it we're actually producing? And he said, you don't need to know that. So I remember being a bit part player in a large organisation and I hated it because, you know, I am driven by my own ideas and my own energy. And I would never submit that to an employer again. So I've had both uh, experiences, and yes, there's fear, there's, there's uncertainty, there are times where, you know, you know the finances dry up, uh, but I like that excitement because I've learnt to like that excitement. And I think we should be generating the sense that, you know, security uh, comes with pursuing your own passion rather than finding, you know, a box in which you can sit and be protected. Yeah, indeed. And, and, and Claire, for yourself, was running a business and going alone like this a natural step for you? Uh, for me, it was, yes. I think a lot of the things that Mike said about not really sort of um, being involved in the bigger picture was, was uh, very relevant to me. I was working in variously architecture and design-based work and found that people were saying, oh, you know, would you like to, you know, work on a project with me or illustrate a book or, or, or design something? And I was permanently having to say, well, no, I can't really. So it just got to a point where there was a, a, a particular project and I thought, yes, I need to do this. <laughs> so I thought, right, the long-term plan is to work for myself in architecture and design and from then it was a sort of quite a, a long process to get myself into a position where I could work for myself. It was about, I think, roughly about 10 years between me thinking, yeah, this is what I'm going to do to be actually being in a position where I can now do that on a daily basis, which is great. Thanks, Claire. And, and one of the things that we find is that um, it's not uncommon for people who start a business to come from a family background where people have uh, also run their own business. Was that the case in your family or were you a pioneer? Um, I'm not sure what pioneer <laughs> is a word I would actually have chosen. Um, my my uh, choice has been called many things. One of them, brave, actually. I think lots of my close friends have said, you know, it's it, work, it's making the decision to work for yourself is a bit like stepping off a precipice. But no, in my family, absolutely not. My parents are academics um, and that was the route they knew and you know, sort of naturally sent us, you know, along that path, I think. Um, but in my family, there are uh, five of us and 
um, actually all of us have ended up working for ourselves for, for various reasons. I was lucky enough to be able to choose to do it, but also through being made redundant and also my brother, he's a web designer, so he, um, you know, he went from working full time to thinking actually I'd rather freelance so I can pick my own work. So uh, I also have friends, very close friends who have done a similar things. So around me there are people who are in a similar, similar position, which I think really helps actually. Okay, thanks, Claire. Um, and when we look at who wants to go self-employed in our research, we find that uh, it's those in the 18 to 24 age group that are most actively planning self-employment, um, with 27% of them. So it's almost a third saying they are working on a business idea that they want to launch in the next couple of years. Do you think things are changing, Mike? I know that you work with a lot of youngsters in the in the design sector. Are, would you say that youngsters today are more savvy, they're more confident than the previous generations? Absolutely. Uh, the, the thing that really strikes me about this, this generation, and I meet quite a few through giving talks in schools and doing workshops, um, they want to pursue something that has got meaning. That's the first thing. Um, and... <clears throat> You know, many employers have not shown themselves to be, you know, particularly ethical. Um, so they want to steer away from bad employers. They want to live a life of purpose. Now, that generally means doing something on your own. And I think there is huge skills. Some of these are, you know, I met uh, a, a young guy of 15 and his mother was worried about the fact that he spent all the time in his bedroom on the web. Um, in fact, it turned out he was running a business um, since he was 13, buying online. He had an app that could get him access to uh, limited edition clothing. And he was buying it and he was wearing it and he was selling it at a huge profit three months later. So this facility, um, this ability to use you know, a marketplace that we don't even understand yet... And the ability to, to learn from online sources is... I don't think a lot of this comes from school, to be honest. I wish schools did more around entrepreneurship. I wish schools, you know, made the assumption that they weren't simply preparing, you know, young people for <clears throat> for employment because there's a bit of an oven-ready chicken, you know, thing about um, training young people in employability. Because that's the skills employers want. And young people are far more likely to have an idea themselves and realise that the employment market doesn't cater for them. So I think they have got skills and I think they're learning um, outside school. Mainly these skills, which is a bit frightening. And Claire, thinking of Mike's example there and and, uh, the qualities of these young people who are very entrepreneurial... Um, are these the same qualities that people need to successfully climb the corporate ladder? Or do you think we are talking about two completely different species here? I think um, I think they're two different species. I think, it, I'm, I'm guessing slightly, but I think a lot of people, and for the people that I know that work for themselves, often the, the sort of trigger to think, right, yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to freelance or whatever, was... A, a sort of you know a stifling if, effect or it's, it's been hinted as sort of slightly less than um completely moral uh, or fair workplace in some way um i think though that you know young people you know the under sort of 23 age group have grown up in a completely different society 
linked globally via technology. I have a, a friend whose son is revising for his GCSEs and he's allowed eight hours a month to work on his own project. He designs uh, skins for a computer game, a well-known computer game. He earns £1,500 a month, um, more than his mum makes, to, <laughs> to her annoyance, going to work every day, you know, and the grind that she's been doing since she was in her 20s. Um, and I think they're completely different um, motivating factors. I think there's a place, though, for, you know, some some businesses can work very efficiently and very productively and um, give a lot of sort of personal pleasure and satisfaction when you're perhaps 18 or 20. Um, and those might be uh, industries or, or occupations where you're, you, you rely on your own talent. So, for example, a design that you can, you've already got a, a good grip on. If you, for example, want to freelance as uh, an architect or uh, an engineer or an accountant, it might be either necessary or beneficial to actually work in a sort of corporate or several corporate environments to gain the experience, uh, you know, depth of experience, the breadth of experience, um, gain professional qualifications um, in, you know, CPD, all those things that will enable you to do a really good job when you are freelancing. So I think they're... I think they are different things, but but at some point they are interlinked, or for certain sectors they are interlinked. And Mike, you touched on uh, something in, in one of your responses earlier around education and schools, uh, and, and entrepreneurialism isn't something that is naturally taught in schools. Uh, how is that going to affect us as a nation of entrepreneurs? I think that <clears throat> some of the problems we have at the moment is that our young people are ahead of the curve and you think about our systems and our you know education health all these things are pretty much based on old models and some of the big companies are also based on old models and so we have to adapt and it strikes me as really strange that uh, you know someone of 18 with all these skills and this confidence uh, goes into a company and starts at the very bottom because we need more flat management structures now and uh, we need to get young people accelerated into positions where they can actually influence um, in a way that only they can do because they have this knowledge, this this way of thinking. Their minds are programmed differently. Their frontal lobe operates in a different way from ours. Look at the way their thumb operates. They've evolved and uh, society has to catch up. Um, with with that. And I think schools have a great opportunity to do things differently. I mean, every school, you know, could be operating a number of businesses helping to support the, 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 the finances of that particular school. And it's, it's always a balance for me between, you know, a state-run education system, which I absolutely support, and, you know, giving schools the freedom to be a bit more responsive to their local community and its particular needs. And, you know, you go into any uh, housing estate in the outskirts of Glasgow, Edinburgh, uh, London, Manchester, Liverpool, and there's all these talents. Um, and yet there are things that need to be done in that community, you know, and they don't marry up. And I think the school could be, you know, helping people to shape at a very young age their own community, so that, you know, we give young people a chance to be shapers, not just inheritors of the future. Yeah, and, and clearly um, micro-businesses 
uh, and the development of micro businesses is is fundamentally important to the growth of our economy in this country. So, so these kind of things are so important that uh, that as a country we get right. Um, what more needs to happen, Claire, in your opinion, uh, to actually uh, give people the tools and the capability to comfortably go into self-employment? I think there are um, there are a number of sort of key things. I think there are a lot of things that that I don't think is feasible to, to teach at school. Obviously, a school curriculum that they're obviously trying to give everybody everything and obviously there are already pressures on things like social education health food fitness financial education all those sorts of things but a good sort of broad education at school i think needs to be um augmented by the fact that if there's any information that you're not given at school there's somewhere else to get it and i think that's the key thing so if you're setting up your own business whatever um whatever business it is that you're in, I think it's really crucial to have a network of people that do the same thing as you. So uh, although in one aspect they might be your competitors, you've actually got a lot of things in common. A lot of, you know, if you're thinking, "Mm, I wonder what I should do about so-and-so or whatever or where I can get training on such and such, uh, there's somebody else out there that will know it. So I think business communities are essential. I'm a member of a couple of networks down here um, and they're, they're fabulous. Also, if you work for yourself, it can be quite isolating. Often you're working kind of on your own a lot of the time or making a lot of the decisions on your own uh, a lot of the time. So I think that that's really crucial. Um, I think also finance um, and things like, you know, tax, basic questions, you know, should I be uh, a limited company or a sole trader? Things like that, things, questions that you've never had to consider before. And it, it's actually quite hard. It, it They're really big, burdensome Um, decisions to make so I think having the confidence that when you make a decision it's the right one for you at that time and of course things may evolve and change I think those are the key things really. Thanks Claire and and you you touched on networking there and uh, Mike you used the word community a couple of times in your previous answer uh, which leads beautifully to my next question uh, which is does a sense of community even exist among small businesses Um, and how important is networking Mike? Networking is hugely important, and and uh, the, there has been a change because a few years ago, people working in the same sector would look at each other across a room, and think competitor, and watch their every move. Now they're likely to collaborate in a way that they didn't do before, and this this sense of collaboration now is is a growing phenomenon. Look at all the the, the places in the cities now where the, you can rent a desk for you know however many hours a week and you're together with all kinds of people doing all kinds of things. So the, the structures are changing and uh, that's all supporting this sense of networking. Of course networking is important. And you know this is why you know we need uh, our young people to feel that they are influencers, not just inheritors. I'm going to be working with a school next week for three days. And this is all about empowering the children to be the, the, the shapers of their school, their neighbourhood and their city. And it's extraordinary how they will leap on that opportunity. But you see the kind of slow awakening. The younger they are, the faster they leap. So there is something we do still to young people through those teenage years that says, you know, you are fitting into a stream, you're fitting into a subject area. And I think that is the the 
the antithesis of a collaborative model because it's really about being alive to all kinds of opportunities and meeting people with different perspectives and different skills. And it's amazing how people will join together when the opportunities present themselves. So networking is key, absolutely. It is. And we'll take this opportunity now to cut to our halfway break. Here's where you, the listeners, can find out how to contact Claire and Mike if you'd like to know more about their businesses and services. Turn you and your business into a magnet. Extraordinary businesses are truly distinctive. They have a unique story and they tell that story so compellingly customers are captivated. To turn a great business into an extraordinary one, get in touch with me, Mike Stevenson. www.thinktastic.co.uk or find us on Twitter or Facebook. I'm Claire Dales. I run my own art and design studio in Eastbourne, spanning the skills of printmaking, art and architectural design. Please be in touch if you have a project you'd like to discuss, a workshop, a talk or a commission. Take a look at my website, clairedales.com, or via Facebook and Twitter. I want to talk now about work-life balance, because one of the things that we find in our research is that the average self-employed person uh, gets 14 days holiday per year, which obviously is unpaid holiday when you're self-employed. Um, and that's half the 28 days you would ordinarily get in a full-time job uh, by law. Uh, how difficult is that, that whole work-life balance? How difficult is it to make sure that you have uh, the the downtime, you get time to recharge your batteries, uh, you get a chance to switch off and, and head to the beach? Um, I'm going to pose that question to yourself first, Claire. Um, I think that's really, really difficult. <laughs> Something I, I, I no, I've really struggled with. Um, before I decided to freelance, a, a, a colleague um, and a freelance colleague, if I can call her that, said, "Right, when you start, you've got to really be hard with yourself." She said, "What I do is I switch on my computer, get everything ready on my desk, put on my coat, and go walk down the street and back again. So when I come through the door, I'm at work." And although it sounds a bit extreme and a bit daft, I think that's. It, the message from that is really clear that you have to make, uh, if it's possible, a physical distinction between work and non-work, whatever that is, um, other tasks or actual recreation and proper downtime. So if it's possible having your office or your workspace, you know, behind a door so when you finish you can shut the door and not think about it. But also to create um, a sort of a virtual and digital space as well. I think it's it, it's very easy to think, um, especially if you have one phone, for example, or one email, where you don't split your business and work emails to think, oh, I'll just, oh, look, there's a work email. I'll just have a look at it. I'll just ring somebody back. And to to be quite sort of tough with yourself, I get rung up by people um, wanting to discuss their building work at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. And I just think, well, no, this is the time. If I worked in an office, you wouldn't expect me to be there. But I think if you work for yourself, there's always this sort of slight sort of niggling kind of, well, you know, this might be the, you know, the one big break or a really exciting opportunity. And if you don't answer the phone or respond to the email instantly, you're going to miss out. But it's really, really important, I think, to make those physical, physical differences and make time for um, hobbies and interests and also spend money on them as well. 
you know, if you work for yourself, your income is generally not completely static throughout the year, but put aside money for holidays and treats and days out and things like that. Otherwise, I think it's, you're on a, you're on a downward spiral because hopefully when you start to freelance, you might not be doing the same thing for 20 years, but that's how long we're going to be doing it. So you need to factor in time to recharge your batteries, as you say. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's absolutely critical. And Mike, any tips that you would um, give to any of the listeners around how they can manage that work-life balance? I think it's, it's it's got to be... I mean, it's not a question of working for 50 weeks a year and taking a fortnight off. It's about, on a daily basis, finding that balance. And it's a mental space as well as a physical space. I mean, going out for walks is good. The biggest threat to getting a, a work-life balance is, as Claire said, it's that mobile technology because it's 24 hours. And that is the bit that I find the most challenging because you always want to be there for people. Um, but on the other hand, you want to feel that you're in a space uh, that is uninterrupted. But there's something else as, as well that... We've always assumed that work-life balance was about work being arduous and hard-working and, you know, uncompromising and pressured. And that, you know, life outside work was, you know, singing birds and, you know, uh, pastures of, of green. And I think that's changed. Because if you're doing something you're passionate about, then the need to escape from it is far less than if you were going to an office and you weren't enjoying your job and you're being bossed around, you might be bullied then you're looking for a different kind of space. So I, I find uh, I love working. I love doing the things that I love doing. So when I go and speak to an audience in Aviemore, not only am I getting out into a beautiful part of the country, but I love speaking. I don't see that as work. I see that as, as me doing something I'm passionate about. And that feels in itself like a release. Does that make sense? So I think we're redefining work-life balance. And I think that's something that young people are seeing. They're seeing. They want to do something that fulfills a purpose, that feeds their passion and is doing something good that makes the world a better place. If you're doing that, you'll find your energy soars and your need you know, to step out of it gets less and less. But for, you know, the biggest danger, I think, um, is social isolation for freelancers. And I know so many people that work in their own house and for them, you know, there's a, a mental stress which comes with just being on your own and not being able to escape your own mind. Mm. So we see mind, Google does mindfulness now. Um, schools are doing mindfulness. So we're learning, you know, that uh, we can take five-minute holidays rather than five-week holidays, and they can be just as therapeutic. Yeah, so I guess the key is uh, do something you love. Absolutely. So, I mean, the theme of today's uh, podcast is um, is self-employment for everyone. That's the million-dollar question. Uh, and I'd like to ask you, Claire, given everything we've spoken about, uh, would you say that self-employment is for everyone? Um, I don't think it it is for everybody. Um, and it might be, <clears throat> excuse me, it might be for some people some of the time. It might be a part in your life where there's a particular... Um, project or ambition you want to fulfill um, some people friends of mine people I know say oh god you know how do you do it and actually like the perhaps like their jobs because that <laughs> that does exist as well um, and enjoy the stability of it 
although I think even if you're in, in inverted commas, permanent employment, the economy is so fragile that there is actually no such thing anymore. There is no job for life at all. So the way I look at it is I freelance, but I don't see myself really as any more vulnerable than somebody in a permanent job. So you can look at it from either direction. So I think it's potentially for every, anybody, yes. And Mike? I think that we need to change our thinking and, and the models. I I talked in a previous podcast about the Scottish Design Exchange, for which I recently became chair. And here is a business that provides a space and the management and the sales for a whole range of freelance creatives. Uh, so people who were previously isolated, people who don't want to manage their money, uh, you know, particularly more than just the ins and outs of your accounts, people that want to collaborate with others. So we've got 120 businesses, micro businesses in there. And that has taken off the biggest part of the challenge that faces people setting up business. That's finding a market and doing the admin and doing the sales. Uh, so they're, they're, we need to change the models so that, you know, being on your own as a freelancer means that you're feeding into something that's bigger than yourself. So in a sense, you know, we've got 120 employees, but they're not. There are 120 individual micro-businesses. Some have grown and grown and grown. So there we're creating employment, uh, we're, we're creating, you know, economic impact, and we're reducing social isolation, and we're allowing businesses to thrive. So they don't have to be all things you know, you don't have to be all things to, to create a business. I think now we're we're developing models where people can, you know, uh, play to their strengths, play to their skills and and not have to be the kind of uh, administrative genius that businesses sometimes believe they have to be. And, that, you know, if you look at the Dragon's Den and all, all those things, it's all about, you know, um, give us your financial projections for the next three years. Where are you going to be in five years? And actually, business people don't necessarily think like that if they're pursuing their passion and their skill. And um, just to close uh, today's edition of the podcast, then, um, obviously, one of the things that we aim to do is uh, that we aspire to inspire. Uh, so what is the one thing, Claire, that you would tell yourself about work uh, and career and, and, and self-employment if you could go back to the very beginning of your journey? Um, relax a bit. <laughs> Don't sweat the small stuff and it will all be fine. I think if you've got a good idea, there is, uh, it will work. The skills are, you, you must have a, a core skill that somebody wants, otherwise you wouldn't be motivated to do this or think it was possible. Um, all the other advice and help that you need is out there. And also to be be flexible. You might have an idea of exactly what you want to do, but I think in life, if you do what interests you and what motivates and drives you, opportunities come your way that you've never dreamt of, which certainly have for me. There are things I've got to do later today that I never dreamt in a million years would be possible, which is the really exciting, great thing. So, yeah, just be open to ideas and relax a bit. It's superb advice. And Mike? Uh, forget exams um, life is about making mistakes it's about falling it's about getting up again uh, so I would say uh, failure is a new success learn from it Fantastic. and never give up great advice 
And thank you to Mike and Claire for sharing their stories with us today. Search AXA Business Guardian Angel for more real-life stories, business advice and practical guides. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. Thank <laughs> you.